to bless your name. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven by which we are saved, by which we are restored. Only you, Jesus. Only you have the words of life. And we've come here today to honor you, to lift you up, exalt your name. Because we know, Lord, when you are lifted up, your word promises us that you will draw all men unto you, all people unto you, Lord. So we love you, Jesus. We worship you. We bless you. And we honor you. This is, we're here for you, Lord. Do what you need to do in me and in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow, Julia, amen, wow. You know, yeah, wow. You never cease to, 19 years old. You know what's cool is the first time, thank you, Michael. The first time she led worship here was, uh, I don't know, several weeks ago when I preached, which I don't really preach that often. And then this is her last time before going off to school. So, yeah, yeah. So she's going off in a couple weeks. So we'll bless her and send her off before then. But I was really honored that you're first and your last time. So we're tied together, like I told you before, forever. So. Bless you. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, as you know, uh, as Pastor Matt explained, this is kind of an audible, so bear with me. Uh, but what's interesting is, you know, in the Hebrew language, there is no word for coincidence. There is no word. It, it's not a coincidence that whatever happened this week, whatever transpired, Pastor Kirk going on vacation, and Pastor David, and all that, God, God has something to say here. And, and the reason I know this is, is because this message, I actually preached like three or four weeks ago in another church in Reading. Their young pastor like ours, um, although Kirk's ordained, he's working on his ordination, so he's spending time doing his dissertation this summer. And so they asked for people to come in and preach so he could work on that. And, and, and God gave me this word for that church. And it's kind of a word, it's a, it's a personal word for all of us but also as a church. And so when Pastor Kirk asked me uh, to share this Sunday, he asked me to share this. And so I got excited about that because, like I said, when I preached that sermon that whole week, the Spirit of God was really stirring in me that he, he literally was stirring me, saying, there's going to be somebody there who needs to hear this. And I said, well, I'm not going to say that, Lord, unless you kind of prompt me during my sermon, and he did. And, and, and a few days later, uh, a guy in that church went up to their pastor and said, man, that was for me. So I don't know who this word is for today, but it's, it's for somebody, uh, either online or somebody here. It could be for us as a church. And so I, I'm going to do my best to just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and, and give it in the best way I can. But I'm actually kind of bummed out that I have to do this because I was super excited for Pastor David's message. So you may, as you know, we're in the book of Mark, but Pastor David, and he'll do this message, I believe, next week, is on Mark chapter 13, which is the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus 
answers a three-part question about what's going to be what, what's going to happen in the end, Lord. What's going to be the sign of your return? And so I was really super excited to hear his message. So I will be here next week, super excited to hear that. And I would encourage you to continue to pray for him because I told him when we were talking about it, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Great Outdoors with John Candy, <laughs> right? And they go out to dinner, and, and he ate that, like, the 96er, the 96-ounce steak. I said, that chapter is like the 96er. And, and he said, man, I, I wish we had a month on it. So, But anyway, keep him in prayer. Uh, read Mark 13 this week come, and come back ready next week to uh, hear what Pastor David has to share because it's going to be good. Today we're going to talk, we're going to look at John chapter 21. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's where Jesus, after his resurrection and before his ascension and right before Pentecost, he restores Peter to ministry. As you know, Peter, on the night the Lord was arrested, Peter denied him three times, which inarguably would be the greatest mistake of his life, one that could define him had the Lord not performed the heart surgery he needed to do. And you know, I, I always think that Peter, had the Lord not done this, he, he, would, he probably would have ended up just a miserable fisherman, probably a drunk on the Sea of Galilee that nobody wanted to be around. And, and what's interesting is that if we had not had this story in the Gospel of John, which was written after the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we wouldn't have this story. And we would have been confused if we didn't have this story because we would have gone from Peter's denial to Pentecost. Whereas you know, Peter delivers the first sermon of the church under the power of the Holy Spirit, basically saying to thousands of people, you killed the Christ. Whereas 50 days earlier, roughly around there, he said to a little girl, I don't know the man. So how do you get from denying Jesus to a little girl to declaring him Lord in front of all religious people, all the people in the city of Jerusalem. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. But before we could get to Pentecost, the Lord had to do this surgery on Peter. And to me, this story speaks of anything in our lives where maybe mistakes we've made in the past. Maybe, maybe, there, maybe you have a mistake in your life that you've repented for. Maybe you haven't repented. But let's say you repented, but the voices still haunt you. Your own voice condemns you. It brings it up. That is not of God. And if God is going to use you, you have got to quiet those voices. You, like Peter, have to receive the healing and the restoration that Jesus would give him. So let's open our Bibles. If you could just stand with me one more time for the reading of God's holy word. We're going to be in John chapter 21, and we're going to read, I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Afterward, Jesus again appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, 
Simon Peter blurts out, no, that's not what my Bible says. Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they, got caught, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you caught. Bring some of the fish you caught. Simon Peter climbed the board and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus answered, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account of your grace, of your mercy of your restoration of Peter. And Lord, I have to believe that somebody needs to hear this word because I'm not supposed to be standing here right now. So Father, would you do your work by the power of your Holy Spirit? Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Fill us with the knowledge of your will and grant us all spiritual wisdom and understanding to know it and walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So in the opening verses of John 21, we see seven of the 11 remaining disciples by the Sea of Galilee, also called Lake Tiberias, where they were waiting for the Lord to appear to them again. Now, it's kind of interesting because if, we, if you look in Matthew 28, where they get the Great Commission, they were actually supposed to be waiting in the mountain. So I don't know if they wandered down or why they were there, but they were weird. Now, now imagine the scene. 
I'm going to hopefully try to paint a picture of this scene because um, this, this whole passage for me plays like a movie in my mind. And like uh, I, I've seen some of the chosen. I haven't seen it all. I don't know if they do this scene or not, but if they didn't, they really should because this is a beautiful scene. And, and I'm going to take some liberty here as to how I see it, but hopefully you get the point. So I imagine all the disciples are sitting around the fire, right? Just like the fire that Peter sat around when he denied the Lord. Nobody's saying anything. Peter, Peter's just staring off because I'm sure he's sitting there. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And he called out curses on himself. I don't know him. Keeps playing over and over in his mind, and it's torturing him. I can't believe that I denied the Lord. Two hours early, I cut off somebody's ear. I was ready to die for him. And, and in that moment, I failed the Lord. How could he possibly use me? He said he was going to build a church on me? Are you kidding me? I denied him. And all the other disciples are sitting around. They, they kind of know it. Nobody's saying anything. And the good thing about the Gospel of John 2, there's few stories where Peter's actually mentioned by name, but he's not in some of the other Gospels. Mainly because probably at the time John wrote this, the other Gospels were already well circulated, and it was well known that it was Peter. But I'm sure there was just a dead silence that night, and they're sitting there. And so Peter... I believe in his mind, just blurted out randomly, I'm going fishing. Now, Peter was a fisherman. And so my first point is this, and this applies to us individually as followers of Jesus and as a church. When we are adrift spiritually, we resort to what's familiar. If you remember the children of Israel, they get to the land of Canaan, and they sent out spies. Moses and Joshua sent out spies, Caleb. And most of them came back and said, man, it is filled with uh, milk and honey. And, and, and look at the fruit we have. It's beautiful. But the people are huge. There's even sons of Anak there. I think they're in the film. We, we can't go there. <clears throat> and the people said... Let's go back to Egypt. Let's elect a leader and go back to Egypt. So when, we're, when God is doing something, but we're not walking in tune with God, we will return to what is familiar. Just like Peter on that night. And just like him, we resort to what's familiar sometimes in order to bring a temporary relief to the shame of our past or something else that is just a thorn in our side. And this can apply to a church. A church that is adrift spiritually also returns to what's familiar. And the good news here, folks, and uh, so many of you new folks, it's crazy how many new folks are in this church. The good thing about this church is we have a vision. Pastor Kirk has a vision that we are executing to, so we are not adrift spiritually. But we must continually seek what God is doing in order to be in step with him. So on that night that when Jesus, uh, when he betrayed Jesus, when Peter betrayed Jesus, it was not his faith that failed him. It was really just his courage. But to him, it must have been everything to him. Point number two, and this is where it gets interesting. Jesus 
will meet us where we are in order to restore us. This is the great thing about the Lord. Over and over again, you see the Lord going to people where they are in their broken state. He, he, he does not require you to clean up your life. He does not require you to, to change any sort of your action before coming to him as your savior because he is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. So when we come to him, we come to him as we are. We receive our grace and mercy, but the great thing about Jesus is he never leaves us where we are. He never leaves us where we are. He begins a work in us. So let's look quickly at how gently and lovingly Jesus redeems each of Peter's denials. I hope I didn't get my pages out of order here. I did. I'm sorry. So I should have stabled these. My second point is, <laughs> rewind. The restore, I, I asked for grace before I started, so <laughs> let, me just, let me make sure they're in order. And no, they're not. Okay, that should have been easy to do. I don't need this one or this one. Okay. I'm like, wait a minute. That's kind of my last point. That's not good. We'll be out of here, we'll be out of here in no time. The past is away. The mice will play. All right. Okay. Rewind. Point number two. The restoring grace that Jesus Christ extends us requires nothing of us other than to receive it. So early in the morning, Jesus is standing on the shore. He's got another fire going. He's cooking fish. He has bread on it. And what's about to take place here, and we don't have time to read it, but I encourage you to read Luke 5, where Jesus first calls Simon. And it's like he's going to rewind it and recall Simon again. Like in Luke 5, he said, cast your nets on the other side. And, and they did. They hauled in so many fish. They brought it in. He said, come with me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter followed him that night. Now, I've been to Israel. I've seen the Jesus boat they have there in Capernaum. Those boats are only like seven and a half feet wide. So to think that there are no fish on this side, and in this case, 153 on this side, is ludicrous. Right? It's ludicrous. It was a miracle. Um, but in that moment, as they're pulling in the fish, John realizes, John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, that it was Jesus. And he tells Peter. What's Peter's reaction? He literally, I, I can imagine Peter at the back of the boat pulling it and going, what? And he looks and he sees Jesus. And him sprinting down the boat and swan diving off the front, swimming to shore. The Bible tells us that he jumped out of the boat. The rest of the disciples must have been like, what in the world is Peter doing? But Peter, what was motivated, and I'm sure was a hope that Jesus could restore him. Maybe I can, maybe I can do something to earn his favor again. So he, he doesn't wait. He jumps out of the boat. And the Bible says that the rest of the disciples come in on the boat like you normally would. So he dives off the boat. So it was hope that launched Peter out of that boat. And his outward reaction was 
an, an expression of his inner turmoil. He knew that the presence of Jesus meant redemption and restoration. He saw the miracles. He saw how Jesus was compassionate. He knew he was grace, full of grace and mercy. And he knew restoration in Christ was a reality. So he went after it with all he got. So he makes it to the shore. The rest of the disciples come in. Now Jesus asks them, the Bible says, verse 10, bring some of the fish. Now, Jesus already had fish on the fire, so it wasn't like he actually needed the fish. He said, bring some of the fish. What does Peter do? Peter single-handedly grabs a net full of 153 large fish. If they were two pounds each, over 300 pounds, and he drags them all to Jesus. And his reaction sometimes reflects my own reaction when I feel I've sinned against God or I'm distanced for God. It's like, what can I do to earn his favor? So if the Lord only wants a couple fish, I'll bring him 153. And some, we sometimes think that by our deeds and our actions that somehow we can get God's favor, which is nonsense. Jesus had already paid for Peter's denial. He already died and rose again. Peter was already forgiven. But he felt like he needed to do more. He needed to win Jesus' favor back. But we come to Christ as we are. We bring the good, the bad, and the ugly. And with godly repentance, there's a divine exchange. We come to him with our mess. We give it to him. We repent. We say, Lord... I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. We give that to him, and we receive his grace and his mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And we get that from him. There's a divine exchange. He took our sin. He took our failures. Even the biggest failure of your life, there is nothing you could do that you can't be forgiven of. One day, and I think I shared this story. I was driving, sports radio. They had Kevin Weeks on, Billy Bulger's, um, not Billy, Whitey Bulger's. <laughs> Sorry, Billy, if you're listening. Um, he, was his, he was his muscle. And at the end of the interview, they asked him, they said, hey, uh, do you think you're going to hell? And Kevin Weeks said, yeah, I'm pretty sure if there's a hell, I'm going. And I felt, I'm driving to work, I felt prompted, call the radio station. I said, I'm not going to do that. Call the radio station. I said, Lord, I got to get to work. I'll call. If, it, if it's busy, I can't call back. Guess what? They pick up. What do you want to talk about? You're on next after the break. And I just went right at it. I said, and the Lord told me, he says, Kevin Weeks is going to be listening. And he said, I just said, Kevin Weeks does not have to go to hell. And then we had an exchange in conversation, and I had my friends call me up. I heard you preaching on WEEI radio. But I really hope he was listening to say, I don't care what you've done. No matter what, it all was placed on him. When Jesus was on that cross, the scourge of everything you and I did was all placed on him. And his blood covers that as a perfect atoning sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath and judgment so that we receive that. 
And when we receive that, we have to forgive ourselves. Like if Peter had not forgiven himself here, he never could have become Peter. He never would have written First and Second Peter. I, I, I challenge you, I, I, someday I want to do this study where you look at Peter in the Gospels and then go read what he wrote in his books and you see how God tempered him over time, how God changed him. It's such a beautiful story and it starts right here. But we come to him as we are. Which brings me to my third point that you've already heard. <laughs> Rookie. I feel, like, I feel like I'm at the Pats training camp and I'm like the four-string quarterback here. <laughs> like, I, I get a rep and I fumble the snap and I'm like, it's all good, it's all good. No. Point number three. Jesus will meet us where we at in order to restore us. Now let's look at the, let's look at the process here because this is a beautiful, rich, and deep scene. So they eat breakfast, sitting around the fire, Jesus, the seven disciples. And, and I like to imagine Peter avoiding eye contact with the Lord, like afraid. And, I, and I, I, again, I'm taking liberty here. I could see Jesus during the breakfast just glancing over at Peter time to time, just trying to catch his eye. Peter's not, he's not going to look. And Jesus breaks the silence. He says, Simon, son of John, do you truly agapow me more than these? That word agapow or agape means perfect, divine love. Jesus says, Simon, do you perfectly and divine me, divinely love me more than these? Now, we're not told what these are. If it's more than, do you love us more than the disciples? Or do you love us more than these fish? Now, we see 153 fish. We don't think much of it. But if you're a fisherman, that's like a year's pay. Pile of cash right there. We don't know. And Pastor David and I, uh, I've been discipling some young men, and we were, we were in this passage, and, and, and Pastor David made the point, he said, this is the question that every Christian must answer. Do you love me more than blank? And you fill in the blank. Because there is no greater question, do I love sin more than I love Jesus? Do I love this world more than I love Jesus? Do I love my lifestyle more than I love Jesus? And if the answer to any of those is yes, then we, like Peter, need to re be restored. We must repent and move forward in step with the Holy Spirit in the work that he wants to carry out in us individually and us as a church. So then Jesus asked him again, Peter, Oh, I'm sorry, but Peter answered him. When Jesus said, do you agapow me? Do you love me perfectly? Peter answered, he said, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Phileo is like a brotherly love. It's, it's more like a, uh, it's not a perfect love. It's like, you know, we're in a loving relationship. We can get each other mad. We can get restored. So Jesus is saying, do you love me perfectly? And, and Peter's like, I'm not going there. He's already being tempered by the Lord. Because if you remember on the night he was betrayed, Peter was saying, if everybody else abandons you, I won't abandon you. He wasn't like that. 
at this moment. He's like, and I don't even think the first time Jesus answered him, asked him, I, 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 I doubt that Peter looked at him. Maybe the second time he did, but two times Jesus says, do you agapow me? And yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. He wasn't going to equate his love for the Lord with God's perfect love. So the third time, Jesus comes down to Peter's level. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me? You know what's interesting? Is Jesus never brings up Peter's action. He never says, I I know you denied me, Peter, but do you love me? He never does that. And he never does that with us. Because he's not interested in our behavior modification. He's interested in a repented heart. He wants us to come to him and and be restored with him through repentance. And the purpose of these questions from Jesus, he wasn't trying to get information from Peter, but he was rather trying to get Peter to uncover the object of his love, which is the Lord. And with each time that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He restored every single denial that Peter had done that night. I don't know the man. I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. I don't know him. I love you, Lord. Feed my lambs. I, lo- I don't know him. Oh, I was going to say something, but I'd probably get in trouble. But, and he said, I love you, Lord. Three times he delivers. He, he gets restored. And so from here, Peter would then go on to Pentecost, where he would be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God would come upon Peter and set him free and preach that first sermon in Acts chapter 2 where thousands would get saved. So what is the application for us? What's the application? Is there somebody in here or somebody listening? You're gifted. You have a lot of gifts. Everybody in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, he deposits different gifts in all of us. Are you using your gifts in the kingdom? Or do you think, maybe like Peter, had not the Lord done this, maybe you feel disqualified. You feel there's no way, like that man in that other church, there's no way God could use me because I did this. Is there anything that you feel disqualifies you? Because we are in a church. God is doing something in this church. If you've been here any length of time, you sense it. We, we have a young pastor, Kirk and Shelby, who are leading us in a way I've never seen such humility and strength in the same type of person like that. He's like a David. And God is going to use him because he's, he's committed to the Lord's way and he's humble. He empowers people. And God, those are ingredients for God to move. 
and a revival to happen. I, I just believe it. I really, so what is your role going to be? If you're new here or you've been here forever, what are you doing? How can you get involved? And before you do that, is there anything that you either need to repent of or maybe you've repented a billion times for the same thing, but you haven't forgiven yourself? You, and I'm preaching to me. The first time I wrote this, man, this was for me. I actually called it Forgive You was the name of the title. Because I was preaching to myself, to the voices that would constantly condemn me for things I've done. Because when all, every time you're preoccupied with that, you cannot be used by God. Right. But he has you here for a reason. <clears throat> My wife and I, in January 1999, we were in a membership class here up at the Parsonage in the front room with Pastor Ray, Don Bell, and I think there were three other couples. Bob and Nancy Stewart were in there. It was quite a class. Um, but Pastor Ray looked what I thought. I said, boy, he's looking right at me. But I talked to my wife. She said, no, I think everybody felt that because I thought he was looking at me. But I, I'm telling you, I felt him staring right in my soul and say, you are here for a reason. You have something we need. So if you're new to this body... You are not here by accident. You are here because God wants to do a work here, and you are part of it. And you may even know what that is. You may even know your giftings. doesn't always have to be spiritual. You could be good in finance. You could be good in all these other different areas. But you can be used by God, every one of us. If you've been here a long time, and you're not involved, and you're not you don't have a hand to the plow. Now is the time to do it. Because when you hear next week's sermon about the coming of the Lord, if you're paying attention in this world, man, his return is imminent regardless of what's going on in this world. Jesus Christ is coming back. And you know what he said? He said, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? And I'm, I'm here to say, as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm in this church, I want, I want him this to be a place where he will find his people at work. And that's going to take all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, honestly. Like, for all those teenagers to show up yesterday, I mean, does that not excite you? I mean, that they're out here volunteering, serving kids. Those are healthy ingredients. You have a leadership staff in this church that's fully united on the vision as God reveals it and as he provides the resources, which he did. The crazy thing is, is that during this crazy pandemic where the world has just gone nuts, this church has grown. It's grown. God is doing something here. And, and the world is a tough place with or without a pandemic. But we can be a family united in Christ with our hands to the plow, doing whatever it is he asks us to do until he surely comes again. And if there is anything in your life that you think disqualifies you from that, I'm here to say it's nonsense. If you've repented of it, forgive yourself and move forward and get involved. Do something. We need you. We all need you.